Eichel spins off a sandwich and down towards the goal. Barbashev, he scores! Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Harley down through the circle. He's going it again. To the right of shot. Oh, and a stop by Hill with the glove. Robertson at the right dot. The lefty tried to go top right corner. Hill flashes his mitt for the big save. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at LBSportsNetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Put those sticks down. Let's drop the puck. Let's get ready to go as the VGK Insider Show rolls on from the Las Vegas Valley all the way over to the Atlantic Ocean where we are with the Golden Knights. Darren Millard here. Uh, just uh, about 35 feet away from the beach right now. Don't, don't want to make you too jealous. You got lots <laughs> of sand there as well. But uh, the Golden Knights uh, flew cross country today and we'll get a practice in tomorrow and we'll get ready for game number three of the Stanley Cup final on Thursday. Second trip to the Stanley Cup final for both teams. And one of these two clubs is going to win its first ever Stanley Cup championship, Ryan Wallace, back mm-hmm. in our Las Vegas studio. And this is uh, the continuation of a trend for one and new territory for the other. San Jose was a team that got to the Stanley Cup final a couple of years ago, couldn't do anything with it. Florida is back. Uh, they got swept back in 1996 have yet to win a game on this stage. And for Vegas, 2018 was a marvelous moment, but they have managed to surpass that expansion season with this playoff performance, winning its 14th game. Yeah, absolutely. This is a a Golden Knights team that is as close as they have ever been in their franchise history to finding a way to win 16 games. They're They're one win closer to that 16 game mark 14 wins so far through the playoffs. And now for the Golden Knights, it's about finding a way to get two more. And for the Florida Panthers, it's about finding the gate to, to get away their first one. So 2018, everybody remembers you win game number one, and then you have the opportunity in the second outing at T-Mobile Arena in the Fortress. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment in, in that game uh, that stands out that people remember to the day, right? It's the save, yes. Right. Brayton Holtby off Alex Tuck and gets credit for turning that series around and springboarding a Washington to four straight victories. What was the moment that Vegas served up yesterday that switched the script from being on their heels to being able to close out the game and capitalizing on the opportunity to take a two nothing series lead? Well, that's tough, right? Because, you know, obviously the fact of the matter is the Golden Knights, they were able to jump out to a 2 nothing lead. They were really good early on. Aiden Hill, a big-time save on a Carter Verhage breakaway. Uh, but if you're looking at it from the perspective of the Golden Knights had a moment in game number two where I think you deflate completely the Florida Panthers. It was Jack Eichel taking that big hit from Matthew Kachuk coming back to start the third period and then on his first shift since the hit, he sets up the fifth goal of the game and really makes it a no-doubter. That, to me, was a big turning point for Jack Eichel, for the Vegas Golden Knights, and in in a lot of ways, the Florida Panthers. I I agree with you. The return of Jack Eichel from getting off the ice and going down the tunnel and everybody spending that entire intermission wondering whether or not Jack Eichel would return. Seeing him back on the bench, 
climbing over uh, because they were killing a penalty to start that uh, that third period. Uh, coming back on the ice, big ovation when Jack Keichel stepped over the boards and and uh, returned to the to the game and then making the play. And it was a strong play mm-hmm. in the corner, using every ounce of his abilities, whether it's strength, whether it's skill, whether it's vision, whether it's edge work. Uh, they all came uh, to the to the forefront and finding uh, Jonathan Marchessault for the goal. Huge moment in the in the franchise's history, and I think that will be one of the tales if they're able to finish it off. One of the memorable moments of Jack Eichel's return. It could have been the other way, mm-hmm. like that hit. If it's uh, uh, debilitating in any way to Jack Eichel, can swing that series in a huge twist. Uh, towards the Florida Panthers. Maybe they don't win the game, but they've got an opportunity with some momentum uh, going uh, through the course of uh, of, of uh, games three and four uh, with with Jack Eichel uh, taking the the blow from from Matthew Kachuk. And, and it was we all agree it was a, it was a clean hit. Mm-hmm. Instead, Eichel returns and turns the tables around and gives momentum to a team that was already in the lead. I'll go back a little bit further, and this isn't nearly as sexy uh, of a story, <laughs> uh, and it won't be remembered as one of those marquee moments uh, in, in the game with any type of slogan like the save or the return sure. uh, 2018 to 2023, but the power play goal early in game number two mm-hmm. was a message. Uh, by Vegas. It's we know the history of the power play, the love uh, hate relationship with the man advantage with with the Golden Knights. But being able to go out and capitalize on on the opposition uh, taking uh, uh, liberties with you mm-hmm. and and uh, pushing them uh, uh, back with with a power play goal. Like there's nothing to stop Florida from continuing to do that. If Vegas doesn't score on the power play, they were able to do it in game number one and they were able to do it a couple of times yesterday, but to do it early in game number two, I thought was a real strong message that deflates a certain extent, the Florida Panthers mojo and their game plan to be able to go out and do it again. It doesn't have a sexy moment the sexy slogan with it like Mm. the return or the save but i think it was just as significant to be able to score that power play goal early in the first period that's a really good one i I think it's a it's a great point because for the golden knights like we've talked about their power play we've talked about special teams throughout the entirety of the postseason and you know in in a lot of different ways we're just looking for some timely markers or uh you know in, in key situations can your power play come through for you and so far through two games they've got four power play goals on 11 opportunities so if the florida panthers are not going to be able to keep it disciplined then the golden knights have proven over at least the first two games that they can find a way to hurt the Panthers with a man advantage, with a power play opportunity. And if that aspect is taken away from Florida, maybe they maybe they dial it back a little bit and it becomes an easier time for the Golden Knights to be able to move pucks in and out of zones. And you're not dealing with all the extracurriculars after the whistle. Hey, we, we spent an entire round of the Stanley Cup postseason talking about the Edmonton Oilers power play mm-hmm. and that number, yep. which fluctuated uh, through the course of the first and the, and the second rounds before the elimination. Uh, I think it's time to give a little bit of credit and and not just talk about the Vegas Golden Knights scoring on the power play, which I did. 
not just the Vegas Golden Knights scoring four times in 11 opportunities, which you just did, mm -hmm. but let's give it some some real props with a number. The Vegas Golden Knights power play in the Stanley Cup final is 36%. Hmm. That is impactful. And I guarantee you, without talking to the guys front and center and getting the, the firm response, I can guarantee you that they're looking around going, power play's working, now we're rolling. Mm -hmm. Because they, every other part of their game is great. The power play has been the one that could for the top in games or force them to fight a little bit harder in games and have to find uh, the five-on-five five goals, which they're great at. But uh, but uh, it, it steepens the incline when you don't take advantage of the power play. Now the man advantage is producing goals, and they look around and go, We've got it all going now. Mm -hmm. Doesn't guarantee a victory in three or four, but it sure made things a lot less stressful in games one and then two to be able to lean on that man advantage. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right on the money. It, it's been it's been what we've we've kind of talked about with the Golden Knights at various points of, of the season and certainly throughout the playoffs, is that if the power play starts to get more consistent, right? Or predictable in that you feel once every three or four opportunities, a goal is there or a goal is coming. And the chances that the Golden Knights are generating and creating right now on the man advantage aren't sucking momentum out of their game at all. And in fact, I think it's it's really allowing them to find their offensive game against Florida. When those things are are checking the when you're checking those boxes, like it, it brings a lot of confidence. And and right now I think like, through the first two games of this series, I've loved what the Golden Knights have been able to do in the offensive zone. I've loved the looks that they've been able to create on Bobrovsky, the movement that they've been playing with, and I think a lot of that has to do with them feeling pretty good about where their power play's at right now. There's some great puck movement uh, mm -hmm. yesterday. What? I'll put you on the spot here. What was the best pass of yesterday? <laughs> uh Oh man, that's tough. I'm angling. I'm angling for something here. I'll, I'll, I won't even. I wouldn't. I mean, to torture you. Okay? I'll. I'll go Mark Stone. Uh, okay, it, it's Mark Stone. Yeah, but it's not how you think, Mark Stone. Okay, the pass was to Mark Stone. Do you remember what happened in the second period, where Mark Stone blocks a shot, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and while blocking that shot, yep. breaks his stick. Yeah. He goes to the bench, and as soon as that stick breaks, our buddy JW, uh, yeah. JW Aiken, uh, J, uh, I don't call him J, I call him JW. Uh, he he runs down the bench, mm -hmm. and there's an awesome. If you go to my uh, Instagram account, I've I've reposted the Sportsnet uh, split screen. Yeah, it's amazing. JW uh, runs down the bench and gets uh, the handoff to Mark Stone who ends up making the play and uh, sets up uh, Brett Howden for, for the goal. That is everything in, in sync. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the equipment staff, whether it's uh, Chris David Sams or JW or uh, uh, whoever you want, uh, Patty Mano, uh, Johnny Mano, uh, any, any of them, uh, it, it's such a, a beautiful moment because uh, they get to contribute to something on the ice. And I love Mark Stone coming over and after everything mm -hmm. was said and done, comes over and gives J-Dub a fist bump for getting him that stick. And it's not just uh, a stick. It's his stick to be able to go on down the ice. And I'll, I'll tell you, I've, I've got some buddies who uh, are 
managers in the National Hockey League and and what they do. They've told me the, the different secrets. But uh, when, when players are in the, especially in a penalty kill situation or a face-off, uh, the equipment staff will have their hand on the, the stick of the centerman who's who's taking the face off hmm. because if if you break a stick in that situation a lot of sticks do break on on face offs they've they've got the stick and it's over the boards and they're the, the they could do play by play as much as Duva or Gosher could do play by play but they're doing it in a very different fashion so you watch the penalty kill and uh Chris or or JW will have their hand while watching the play will have their hand rolling over the the sticks of the player that's nearest to the puck Mm -hmm. because if that player breaks a stick, they instantly grab it and and throw it, uh, not throw it over the boards, but hand it over the boards uh, to to the player. It's not just somebody handing a stick, whether it's uh, too tall, too short, or anything. They're so fast. That used to be the case. Mm-hmm. You, you guy would go by the bench. He didn't know whether he was getting a, a lefty <laughs> or a righty. Uh, the people that they just wanted to get him a stick so they could get back uh, out out in the ice. Yeah. But it's so fast. These guys are so dialed in. And J Dub, he's he's working wherever that puck is. He's got his hand on the player from the Vegas Golden Knights stick. And if something goes wrong, he grabs it. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. And it won't go down in any box score. It won't be remembered like uh, the return of Jack Eichel or the finish by Jonathan Marcheseau, uh scoring uh, the 12 goals in, in 12 games or the penal- or the uh, uh, beautiful breakaway save uh, by, by Aiden Hill. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. It uh, will not, it'll, it'll disappear. But everybody on that bench, knows and chris davidson the the uh, uh head equipment manager walked down the bench yesterday after when the crowd was celebrating he went down and gave a fist bump to his buddy in, in jw like that's the way you do it and that was pretty cool yesterday by jw uh jay aiken yeah you're you, you know that's a that's another great point because again as you know if you haven't seen the video Go, of course, to Darren's Instagram. Go to at Ryan Hockey Guy. I retweeted it. And the, the coolest thing about the video is, number one, you get the stick. Number two, you've got to find the right area to lean in over the bench to be able to get that two mark stone in the right spot. Um, there's a lot of moving parts, and it's, as you mentioned, it's seamless, right? And, you know, that, that, again, kind of goes in lockstep with what we've been talking about this team. Everything is moving in the right direction. Everybody is that single-minded focus, and uh, you're, you're dialed in in so many different ways with so many different aspects, uh, and it leads to one of the prettiest goals that we've seen in the playoffs. So they they score two in the first. They lead four nothing after a pair. Mm-hmm. They took control of that game. Whereas game number one was back and forth. Florida scored first, and and Vegas uh, was able to to keep pace. I think Florida right now is really thinking back to that third period of game number one mm-hmm. and not taking advantage of it. And Vegas, on the other hand, if you think back to game one and the third period and then couple that with what we saw in the three periods of game two that's very strongly controlled hockey uh physically discipline wise uh making sure that you're you're taking advantage of your opportunities because it wasn't a one-sided shot clock yesterday uh, vegas was actually a shot uh, in, in the total of the game but taking advantage of opportunities uh wearing them down uh being physical barbershev on on radko gudis uh going down the the, the list of of the hits uh, it was that's four great 
period for the Vegas Golden Knights of the six that have been played in in this series. It, it is, and you know, four periods where I think they've been far and away clearly the better team. And you know, I, I think when you look at periods one and two of game number one, it was even. It was probably what we were all kind of hoping for, expecting going into this series. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, I think for the Golden Knights, when they had an opportunity, and Bruce Cassidy talked about it after game one, where you have a chance to 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 find your game with the game on the line, with the game kind of in, in flux, the Golden Knights were able to find another gear. They were able to put the Panthers away in game one, and they, I don't think they relinquished that going into game two. I thought their start was great. Obviously, they get a big save from Aiden Hill, but then their offense just goes to work, and they were able to wear down, as you mentioned, the the Florida Panthers' defense and Sergei Bobrovsky and then Alex Lyon. There is a series supervisor at every Stanley Cup playoff uh, matchup, and it varies, and then uh, it gets down to where hockey operations for the National Hockey League, Chris King, uh, a hockey operations vice president, uh, is part of this group, and he meets with the managers, he meets with the coaches. Uh, he's like right there with Colin Campbell. Uh, president of hockey operations for the for the National Hockey League in, in dealing with uh, the coaches, the the managers, and then the referees uh, with Steve Wacom, the uh, uh, vice president of officiating for for the NHL. And uh, through every series, and then into the Stanley Cup final, there's lobbying. Uh, I've talked about this in, in the past, where mm-hmm. uh, things aren't going right. You will work the series supervisor to try and get that message through to the referees as much as you can to try and change the way things are being officiated if you feel uh, that you're receiving the short end of the stick. Uh, this is a case where Florida's trying to do that right now. I, I guarantee that that's, that's happening with the uh, frustration that you witnessed in games one and two. But the, the, the power plays were far more away towards Vegas in game number one than yesterday where it was 4-4. Four, four. Uh, the the misconducts kind of get it, uh, make it look like it like it was out of hand. Uh, there's not much uh, that I can say that the officiating is is really influencing this game uh, one way or the other. It's more, quite honestly, the frustration and the discipline of uh, of, of Florida. Now there there's what I didn't think uh, Keith or Keith Kachuk, uh, Matthew Kachuk deserved the, the first 10 minute misconduct. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, if, if there's a, a real issue that Florida would have, that's probably it. Taking your best player out of the lineup uh, for 12 minutes in the middle of a game when you're trying to get back into it, that was a real death blow for uh, for the for the Florida Panthers. But everything else, I don't think that there's 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 an issue uh, that the National Hockey League is going to be able to listen and go, yeah, we got to take a second look at that mm-hmm. and, and reevaluate the way we're uh, where we're uh, officiating this series. Um, there, there's no penalty on the Kachuk hit. It was clean. It was uh, ruled perfectly uh jack would rather not have been involved in that uh, jack eichel but uh but it was was a clean hit and they didn't go overstep. Uh, the referees didn't see something that wasn't there they didn't guess they didn't uh, react to it uh and they could have because two two star players and we know uh the injury history uh with the with the neck uh, of jack eichel that would have been an easy thing to to do they didn't do it so when when Florida starts working the officials. They'll, they'll be mad about the 10-minute misconduct. Mm-hmm. But the minors, the penalties that result in power plays, there's a, not a lot there that uh, that the National Hockey League will take and say we have to take a, a second look at that. So I don't think 
that the officiating necessarily will change a lot uh, going into the new venue of, of this series, Florida Live Arena, for games three and four here on the East Coast. I'd argue that it shouldn't, and I agree with your your premise that you know, in terms of the infractions that are causing power play opportunities, I don't know that there's. I, I don't have any issue with the way it's been officiated, and that's kind of where where I stand on it. There's going to be some liberties taken. There's going to be some physicality. There's going to be some things that are let go. And to to, to in my in my estimation, through the first two games, it's been fairly even on both sides. So if that's kind of the standard. We know what the standard's going to be, and I think for the Florida Panthers, they're going to have to find a way to maybe cut back on the after-whistle stuff. And that, that'll that be hard to do yeah. because that's their game. Mm-hmm. They're an ornery, chippy, in-your-face, uh, yappy, uh, just bunch. And uh, that, that's really effective. It has been effective. But if the other team's not buying into it, it can turn, and that's what Vegas has, has been able to do, and they've been able to score, uh, mm-hmm. and and that's something that uh, Carolina never got on the roll with until Game Four, and and uh, they they just couldn't do enough of it. Uh, Vegas being able to put up uh, uh, the number of goals that they have, eleven in in the first two games, is is huge, and uh, in total power plays in the first two games, Vegas has three more uh, than uh, than. The Florida Panthers. If you look at it and just go by the noise, it was sound like a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was from the seven-four uh, advantage in in game number one. It was four-four in game number two. We've got uh, one-timers, news notes from around the National Hockey League coming up. We'll bring you up to date with some coaching hirings and a few other things happening outside of the Stanley Cup final on Fox Sports Las Vegas. in left corner centered one-timer score it's time for one-timers a quick look at news and notes from around the national hockey league brought to you by paul padalaw it's not about the injury it's about the recovery couple of hirings to bring you up to date from a head coaching front in the National Hockey League. But the breaking news today is a big three-team trade involving the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Los Angeles Kings, and the Philadelphia Flyers, and some marquee names involved in this. It is by far the most complicated three-team trade (laughs) that I've ever been uh, asked to try and explain. So please bear with me on this. Because uh, and I'm not going to walk you through how it actually happened because uh, that's where it really goes sideways. So I'm just tell you who everybody gets and walks away with uh, in this three-team combination. Let's start with the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are also tied to the head coaching announcement uh, that I'll bring you up to date with in just a little bit. They acquire defenseman Ivan Provorov formerly of the Philadelphia Flyers. They also pick up a Philadelphia Flyer first-round pick in this year's draft, and they get a conditional second-round pick in next year's draft. So it's Provorov, a first-round pick this year, second-rounder next year. Los Angeles Kings out of this pick up. Ivan uh, Provorov's contract at 30%. -hmm. So that's why you need three teams. You got to you got to have somebody absorbing money in this. So 30% of Provorov's contract, 
Hayden Hutchins, a forward, and Kevin Connaughton's a veteran defenseman. He's played a number of games, but uh, but is tossed into this uh, mix probably because of contracts, uh, because you're only allowed a certain number of contracts uh, by a National Hockey League team. The Philadelphia Flyers walk away from this deal with Los Angeles Kings goaltender Cal Peterson, Mm -hmm. who finished last year in the American Hockey League. It was the first year of a three-year, $15 million deal. Sean Walker, defenseman, I think that's a good acquisition for the Philadelphia Flyers will give them a, a, some depth on that uh, blue line. Uh, they pick up a second round pick in 2024 from the LA Kings and the Blue Jackets first round pick this year, which is third overall. The Flyers, again, get a goaltender who's expected to be in the National Hockey League next year, a second round pick next year, and a third overall pick this year. When you look at this, who won the trade? Well, that's really, I mean, like, okay. I think the Philadelphia Flyers, and I think it's because they have a pretty clear indication of what they're trying to do, and that is to move on from players that can acquire, that you can acquire value for and start a legitimate rebuild. And I think that that's really where, where it boils down to for me. You, you've got some roster players that, you know, as you mentioned, Sean Walker, that's going to be a, a, a big player just kind of in terms of depth. But I think that this is a signal that the Philadelphia Flyers understand there's going to be pain and the pain has to start immediately so that you can build things back up the right way. Does this soothe any of the pain for Columbus fans after not winning the draft lottery and uh, watching Connor Bedard go to the Chicago Blackhawks? Um... No, I, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't know that like Ivan Provorov is going to be a guy that moves the needle for me that much, Like, especially when you're talking about Bedard and what he might become as an NHL player. I think if you're a Columbus Blue Jackets fan, you, you gotta, yeah, you're allowed to be bitter that you didn't find a way to win that one. Uh, I'm going to go with the Columbus Blue Jackets winning the trade mm. because they're a team that was expected to, from their own group to be in contention for a playoff spot last year that didn't happen because of the massive amounts of injuries so they they decide they're gonna bring everybody they didn't win bedard so they're not gonna lean into the third overall pick and draft and develop they're gonna go out and they're gonna get better right now and try to make sure that they compete for a playoff spot next year best way to do that add some instant uh legitimate National Hockey League talent and Ivan Provorov is that uh, in a defenseman and you still get uh, a first round pick uh, an extra first round pick this year uh, or on, you replace your first round pick it's later on in the in the draft uh, and you can get a conditional pick so I, I like what Columbus and Yarma Kekalainen the general manager of the Blue Jackets did here is he, he, he tried and waited for the draft lottery because wouldn't that have been crazy you, you trade your first pick and then you win the draft lottery so he's not going to do that he doesn't win the draft lottery, slides down. He's not going to get Fantelli uh, uh, at all either. So he's going to draft third overall. So he's going to try and get better instantly. I love the aggressiveness of Yarmo Kekalainen in, in going through this. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers uh, load up on draft picks. I like what they did. And the LA Kings, mm-hmm. they shed some serious cash in, in that's on the books for another two years. 
in uh, Cal Peterson. So it's it, there's there's things to really like about the trade uh, from all three teams, but I, I do appreciate uh, uh, what Columbus did to try and be competitive next year, and it kicks the rebuild uh, or the re 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 rebuild uh, from the Philadelphia Flyers standpoint uh, firmly into motion. Well, I, I think for Philadelphia, it's it's actually starting a legitimate rebuild. So that's something that's needed to happen for a while now. Cal Peterson um, probably helps with that. So there you go. Uh, on the coaching front, it's not official because he still has a contract that's uh, being paid out with the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, and that will expire on July 1st. But Mike Babcock, uh, Stanley Cup champion, uh, been with uh, a couple of uh, really great teams in Detroit and Toronto. Before that, uh, broken in the National Hockey League, the Anaheim Ducks uh, ran into some trouble uh, and his exit from the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, with being uh, firm with players, and that would put it lightly. Uh, but uh, Mike Babcock, who took a couple of years away from the National Hockey League, was working in Canadian University, is going to be introduced as the Columbus Blue Jackets' next head coach. Uh, and that will happen in uh, later on uh, this month or, I guess, July 1st uh, to make it official on that front. More because of the whole contract thing, uh, just working around some technicalities. Mm -hmm. uh, but he is going to be the next head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And uh, it was it was mentioned to me that Johnny Goudreau goes to Columbus because he probably wasn't great uh, feeling uh, touchy-feely about uh, Daryl Sutter, uh, who's a hard coach to play for. And now he's getting Mike Babcock. And we'll see we'll see what uh, what that kind of... And I, I don't know whether Johnny honestly makes that same decision to go to Columbus if he knows he's got a tough, hard-nosed coach in Mike Babcock. Babcock, if, if he makes that same decision uh, this year as he did last year. So that'll be interesting watching that relationship uh, go. I'm a big fan of Mike's. Mm -hmm. uh, I know he's hard on guys and he, and he can be, uh, hopefully he's learned from, from uh, the uh, steps that, uh, that he took in the, in the wrong lane. But, uh, but I, I, I like the hire. I like Mike. Uh, I got a lot of respect uh, for his coaching abilities. And if that along with bringing in Provorov, uh, is a further example that uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets are not turning this into a three-year thing. They're not uh, watching one bad year, sideline the organization. They're jumping back in with both feet. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, I, it makes sense, um, you know, with with anything, right? You you hope that you evolve. And, and for Mike Babcock coming back into this situation, that he is – in a, in a better spot to meet the players that he's going to have in this spot where they are and find a way to maximize the, the skill set. The, the point on Johnny Gaudreau is an interesting one because I would argue that Johnny Gaudreau was at his absolute peak, his best ever, with Daryl Sutter in the background pushing him forward. So does, does a, a hard-nosed coach maybe bring out the best in Johnny Gaudreau? We'll see. Is it going to be untenable? We'll see. And then Patrick Line is the other aspect of this too, right? You've got Line in the fold. How does Babcock help or, or find a way to bring out more or consistency from Patrick Line? It's got to be healthy. That's the biggest thing with uh, with Patrick uh, over the course of uh, of his career. I know he's had some hot and cold stretches individually uh, in in season, but uh, the biggest uh, deterrent for his rise to fame has been uh, 
staying healthy. And Babcock, uh, from a, a being more player-friendly approach, there's going to be huge attention to how he handles this team. So he might be uh, the, the perfect coach for Johnny Gaudreau. Johnny Gaudreau may be timing this perfectly to get a brilliant hockey mind and a guy that's going to, uh, he's not, he's not going to be able to be uh, that just hard-nosed uh, uh, head coach uh, that uh, that demands so much out of his players. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks also made a coaching announcement over the last few days. Greg Cronin has been announced as the replacement of uh, my buddy Dallas Aikens. And uh, Greg Cronin has never been a National Hockey League head coach before. A long-time coach, though, he was a tough son of a gun boy mm-hmm. when he played. Holy cow, you do not mess with him. Uh, but uh, he begins his uh, first stint following uh, three decades of head coaching. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. Uh, he, he's had, he, I listened to an interview that he did uh, on the weekend. Boy, oh boy, has he had uh, a lot of guys that he's worked under and worked with uh, over the course uh, of his career. And uh, he's, a, he's a guy that uh, most recently was really heavily influenced by uh, what, what happened uh, with the with the Colorado Avalanche and uh, uh, that uh, that situation that relationship uh, learning the the modern aspect of the game and evolving uh, with, with with that uh, has I, I think has has positioned uh, Cronin with the, with a really good spot yeah and you know when you look at the Anaheim Ducks it's a a very very skilled team but a a pretty young team and you're going to want to find ways to to bring those players along but teach them to play the right way and I'm going to be really interested to see how the development kind of continues for some of the some of the really highly skilled and talented players on the Anaheim Ducks but also where where they where they go as a team and in how they're playing and and the the pride that they're taking in their game on a night-to-night basis because you know we talked about anaheim quite a bit this year where you know the skill set scares you but when you're when you're really looking for your cookies it leaves a lot to be desired so we'll, we'll see how that kind of um, evolves for anaheim going into next year and he mentioned a lot of names that he's he's worked alongside in the National Hockey League uh, and uh, in the minors and in uh, the U.S. National Development Team. Uh, Cronin has, uh, but the name that jumped out to me where I went, okay, that's great, uh, was Jared Bednar mm-hmm. uh, with the with the Colorado Avalanche and uh, in the minor league. So that uh, that's that's really good stuff. We'll see what he can do from a structure standpoint with the uh, the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, we have uh, news from the New York Islanders, Lane Lambert, under contract negotiations uh, there, uh, trying to find an extension with Lou Lamorello. And there's one more here. Oh, Timo Meyer, uh, contract uh, talks with the New Jersey Devils, expected to, to crank into uh, high uh, order uh, later on this week, uh, <laughs> trying to get ahead of free agency. In the next couple of weeks, uh, he, of course, was the trade deadline acquisition from the san jose sharks what's uh what's a timo meyer extension look like to you but that's a interesting one because how much emphasis do you put on the stanley cup playoffs well i i think you have to put a lot of it on there right like to, to be fair you you make the trade so that you get so that cost him money yeah absolutely 100 percent. he didn't perform well i would be shocked if there isn't a pretty good framework 
already in place with, with this. Um, Tommy Fitzgerald. And, and why, why is it uh, going to take some time? Well, Tommy Fitzgerald is the general manager of the New Jersey Devils, but his son plays for the Florida Panthers. And Tommy Fitzgerald is part of the original Florida Panthers back in, in uh, the early 90s, 93, 94, 95, 96, uh, along that line. Uh, and uh, he was part of the team that went to the Stanley Cup final the first time with the Florida Panthers way back when. So Tommy uh, is going to be down here uh, over the next couple of days to, to watch the game. So he might be a little bit, uh, he actually left the combine. Uh, the draft combine is taking place right now in Buffalo. God, I missed that. Uh, that was so much fun to be around those uh, those kids. Uh, I'd rather be at the Stanley Cup final, quite honestly, but uh, I do miss it. I'm not going to try, try to say that uh, I should be there or want to be there. Uh, this is awesome. But Tommy Fitzgerald's going to be a dad uh, for the next couple of days mm-hmm. instead of the general manager, so that might push back the uh, Timo Meyer discussions. Those are your one-timers uh, for this beautiful Tuesday on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Findlay Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Here's Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. I must admit that being in Florida landing and getting ready for practice tomorrow and game three on Thursday, I still keep up to date with my Ring app, my doorbell app, and watch my cats come and go. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, it's yeah. funny watching them uh, mark up and uh, march up and down the sidewalk. Hey, are you an are you an AI guy? Are you f- afraid of that? I'm not afraid Artificial of it. Artificial intelligence. No. no, I'm not afraid of it. It, it, it freaks me out. This was a great tweet today, <laughs> uh, and the headline was doomed. It was retweeted, uh, and the the only word was doomed. Mm-hmm. And it was somebody asking AI to write the story of a uh, Florida Panthers comeback in the Stanley Cup final. Okay, and they did. And the Florida Panthers winning game seven, da 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 da. And it was, and Jonathan Marchessault scored, so scored the winning goal as the Florida Panthers won the uh, Stanley Cup. <laughs> that, that, that sums up AI. It looks good. And then there's a big mistake right at the end. And, and that's why I don't trust AI. Yeah, I wouldn't trust AI either if they, uh, if they were still living uh, about six and a half, seven years in the past. So, um, but you know what? I, I wouldn't be shocked. If Jonathan Marcheseau has another big goal or two in this series. No, no, not at all. He's feeling Just, it right now. Geez. And the power play, the way it's going with, with Marcheseau, like mm. it's, it's outstanding what's happening. Are, is that the most surprising thing for you coming into this, the power play, the fact that the Golden Knights special teams has been as good as it's been? Or were you kind of banging that drum going into the final saying that that was going to be no. a big difference maker? It could be a difference maker. Always had the potential to be a difference maker. We talked about just keeping up with uh, from a from a fifty percent standpoint against Edmonton. Uh, it could have been a difference maker against Dallas. It was always had the potential to it uh, to do it. But I was always under the belief that they would have to win five on five mm-hmm. by scoring five on five. And if the power play chipped in, total bonus. That's what that, that's what it's been. That's why they've been able to run away with a multiple goal. Uh, wins uh, is because the power play has has made a dent in it and it's made things a little less stressful than it, than it necessarily could have been. What's your day look like tomorrow? 
Uh, tomorrow we go to the rink uh, for uh, Vegas Golden Knights practice and then doing some TV stuff uh, over at the rink with some of uh, my friends at uh, a couple of networks, the NHL Network and, and uh, Rogers in Canada, uh, doing some TV stuff there. And then I'll rip back uh, over to uh, the beach and hang out with you for, uh, for a couple hours. So slow morning, busy afternoon, and then a wild uh, supper hour. When you when you hang out at the beach, are you gonna surf? You gonna do anything fun in the water? Uh, no, no. I will probably walk in up to my knees. Okay, and that's about as deep as I would go for fear of sharks. Are you, you're afraid of I sharks, don't really? Like sharks. Massively, I have a massive phobia of sharks. Where where are you at with gators? Uh, I'm fine with gators. You're okay with gators? <laughs> Come yeah. on. I'm not going to be anywhere near a gator. You're in Florida. Like, what are you talking about? You're going to be uh, around gators all the time. They, they can't get to the eighth floor of my hotel. I don't know about that, buddy. <laughs> not to not to scare you or anything, but I'd keep your eyes out on gators. I'd keep your eyes out for sharks, and I would keep your eyes out for the Vegas Golden Knights because this is a team that's going to Florida with something to prove and something to complete. I'm going to be out at Oyo tomorrow for the show. We'll talk to you tomorrow from 4 to 6. Come on down, say hello, hang out with me at Oyo tomorrow on the VGK Insider Show.